Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. My name is Joe, I'm one of the pastors here with Elevate City and I'm excited for tonight. We are diving into God's word together and throughout this summer, we've been journeying through the book of Galatians together and we've called this series that we've been in living free. Let me hear you say living free. Living free, and throughout this series, um, we've just been journeying through and talking about the freedom that we have in Christ and the grace of God. Um, Galatians was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, and Paul had this incredible encounter with Jesus where at first, after the resurrection of Jesus, he was persecuting Christians. He was trying to stop the spread of Christianity, and then Jesus blinds him, knocks him off his horse, and Jesus calls him to build his church. And he planted some churches in a region, in an area known as Galatia, and he planted those around 47 AD. And those churches were awesome. They were balling, they were growing, expanding. It was incredible. Well, until all of a sudden, this group of religious leaders known as the Judaizers, they come in and they start to spread this lie about the gospel. And they started to tell the Christians in that region, hey, just Jesus on the cross isn't enough. But you also need to become like a Jew. You also need to obey the Jewish customs and rituals. You also need to be circumcised to become a follower of Jesus. And that was a lie. And that was a big deal. Like circumcision is a big deal, y'all. Like we've said that word a lot in this series. We're gonna read about it some more in just a moment. Um, and so Paul gets word of this. And he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you pull out the scissors, let me tell you a little bit. Let me remind you about the grace of God and about the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter as this tornado warning, if you will. He's sounding the alarm. He's calling them out. He's like, hold on, wait, let me tell you about freedom in Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter, Galatians, and we each week have been doing something special throughout this series. And we wanted to make sure that we got through the whole book together and we can't preach on every single verse that would take us a very long time, but we wanted to read through the whole book together as a church. So that at the end of the summer, you can say, I read the entire book of Galatians with my church and you can hear from the word of God. We are Bible people, y'all. We build our lives on the Bible, on the words of God. And so um, each week we've been reading it together. And so I wanna invite up my friend, one of our dream team members, D. Anthony, to lead us in reading through Galatians chapter 5 at the beginning. Come on, D'Anthony. Y'all give it up for him. What's up, what's up? Good evening. Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision circumcision, something like that, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor, nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This pers persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven, 
leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the other one who is troubling you will bear penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you who emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wanna do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in, this, in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying, and envying one another. Amen. Can you thank D. Anthony? Well, we're going to be journeying tonight through the first few verses that we see here. And I just want to point out, okay, the second half talks all about the fruit of the Spirit. And I was like so excited going into this to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But we're doing a whole series in the fall on the Holy Spirit. And I can't wait for that series. And so we're going to get to these verses, I promise. But we're going to be journeying through the first few this afternoon. The title of our message or the frame that this message is going to fall into is based on this question, two parts of this question. What does it mean to live free? Or what does freedom in Jesus feel like? This summer, Netflix's hit show, Stranger Things, has caused a lot of ruckus. Uh, it has been the topic of a lot of conversations. Um, it's been in a lot of different headlines, um, especially as they released volume one and volume two of season four. Anyone watch Stranger Things this summer? Like, that's what you did? You binged that show? Okay. All right. If you're afraid, I promise you're not a heathen. It's okay. But um, this show is the second ever show to reach over a billion hours viewed in the first 28 days of it coming out. This show just became the number one English-speaking show ever on Netflix's platform. It is so massive that as this season, uh, volume two of season four just came out a few weeks ago, um, so many people were watching it at one time, it literally crashed Netflix's servers and broke the internet. Like, it was pretty crazy. Um, one of the things I found interesting with this new season too 
is that there's this song uh, by an 80s singer-songwriter called Kate Bush. And there's a song of hers called Running Up That Hill that is just a song from the 80s and it's featured on this show and all of a sudden she has just amassed all this popularity and this song became the number one song in the world on US and global charts. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's pretty crazy. How much money has she made off this song? And so I Googled it, okay? And she made $2.3 million just this past month from that one song being streamed online. Like how crazy is that? And so I've been asking myself, like many other people, why is it? That this show is so popular. What makes people want to watch this show? Like, is it, is it like the 80s themes? Is it the just nostalgia of it all? Is it the Star Court Mall? Is it Eleven's powers? How she's able to just ah? Is it Will's bowl cut? Like bowl cuts are back in, I guess. Is it like, is it all of the just 80s music that just gets you vibing and just gets you all excited? Like, what is it about this show that draws people in, hooks them in? This article came on my uh, Facebook feed the other day. Yes, I'm still on Facebook. I know, many people aren't. But, um, and this article popped up, and it was talking about um, how this, this writer was contending to say that it's not all of those things that make this show so popular. It's actually the freedom that this show represents that its audience longs to return to. A day where we used to think that we were so young and free. Like, if you can remember... Um, for some of us in the room, we were born before Google was a thing. And we used to actually have to like wonder and imagine when we wanted to know things. Now you just type and you find answers immediately. Like I'm part of the generation that grew up um, pre-cell phones and we grew up pre-helmets as well. So it explains a lot of the different you know, problems that we have today. And like when I was a kid, we used to roam the streets with our bikes and we would put Pokemon cards in our spoke wheels so that we would sound like motorcycles and we would just fly down the road. Like that felt free. We were so crazy that we just saw the roads as our skate parks. And so we built ramps and we just filled all the streets. Um, when we would fall down, we would you know, cry for maybe just a moment. We'd rub some dirt on it and we'd go and we'd hit another jump. Um, we never had to worry about social media because all we had was walkie-talkies. Anyone else with me? You ever had a walkie-talkie before? You didn't have to worry about just getting posted like pictures of yourself on someone else's Instagram. No, 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 no. It was just walkie-talkies. Hey, are you there? Like that's all that we had. And and for me and for my generation, I can just remember back to this time where I was just so young and felt so wild and felt so free. It was a beautiful time. It seemed as if everything in our lives was free. And it's wild today that freedom for so many people just feels like a sci-fi fantasy. That when they watch shows like this, they're just longing for this freedom that they thought they once had or wished that they could have. And freedom for so many people just feels, feels like this far off distant idea. So many of us think that we're free simply because we live in America. America, land of the free, home of the brave. But the reality is, is that so many of us are more bound than we would ever realize and we long for freedom. We long for freedom from the pressures of the culture of today. We long for freedom from the mistakes of our past, freedom from the expectations of other people, freedom from the stresses of striving, freedom from notification after notification that keeps popping up on our phone and just makes us worry and stressed out. And Paul, he begins at the beginning of chapter five, he says in verse one, for freedom Christ has set us free. 
Paul says, for freedom you've been set free. Not for religiosity, not for mediocrity, not for complacency, but for freedom you have been set free. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. One echo throughout this whole book, and as we've been journeying through this series, is this idea and this belief and this reminder for us that we are saved or we are justified. We're made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Jesus Christ alone. And as Paul writes this letter, it's this constant reminder for us. And he says this word right here. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke, that word yoke right there was this harness that was used to attach between two oxen or two big animals so that they could share the weight of a load and they could work together. It's a whole other series. Work together and carry this burden to accomplish some sort of mission. It also would denote denotate, however you said that, servitude. Um, and, uh, and so it was this word that was used to talk about, hey, don't let yourself be burdened or bound by slavery. And he goes on to, to describe the two types of slavery that Christians can find themselves bound by and become held back by from walking in the freedom that Jesus has for us. See, for the Hebrew or the Jewish people of the day, the law represented how they related to God. It, was, it referred to the Mosaic laws or the first 10 commandments. And then the, they started to add on additional laws on top of that. And before you know it, there's 613 commands or laws that they're supposed to live and follow and obey in order to be considered right with God. And the reality of the law is that it exposed the brokenness in all of us, that we are all more sinful than we could ever imagine. But the hope of the gospel is that we are more loved than we could ever dare to dream. And so Paul is constantly trying to remind us of, of that reality. The law wasn't necessarily bad. It, was, it just wasn't sufficient to save us. But it did reveal our need for Jesus, our need for a Savior. And so Paul continues on in verse 2. He says, look, I, Paul. And so he always reminds his readers of who he is because there's important it's always important to be reminded of people's testimonies, people's stories. And so he's like, hey, I used to be a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the chief religious officer. Like I followed all the rules. I did all of the things. And I realized that it couldn't save me. And so Jesus saved me and Jesus called me to live for him. And so he goes on to write, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So what Paul's not saying, he's not saying, hey, all sins are equal. No, what he's saying is if you want to accept this one part of the law, if you want to receive circumcision as your way of being made right with God, by all means, go for it. But what you're saying then is that Jesus' death wasn't enough. And that, in that case, you might as well try to keep the whole law. And so I want you to imagine with me for just a moment being raised Jewish in first century Palestine. Like for your whole life, the law was your code. It was your follow these rules to be made right, follow these rules, um, and it was your life handbook. And I want to read for just a moment some of the different laws that they had to follow just to give us some perspective. And so the law starts with to know there is a God and to, have, to not have other gods, to know that he is one to love him, to fear him, to sanctify his name, not to profane his name. That's the first seven. Like it feels like, yeah, I can do that. Like that's what I want to do. I want to strive for that. We should. And then the law continues on. Law 17, not to embarrass others. So that joke that you told, 
that you were just making fun of that person. Uh, Called out right there. He says, law 62, not to engage in astrology. So bye-bye horoscopes. Law 68, to not cut your hair in the temple. So we can't get haircuts at church. Barbers head out. And then he says, to not shave your beard. Problem for a lot of us men. And then he says, to not tattoo your skin. Uh, oh. And then he's like, and then the law continues on, and it just starts to get a little bit more confusing for people like you and me. And I'm reading through the law, and I'm like, okay, I can do like most of those things. Okay, yes, I can obey that. Okay, yeah, I feel like I could do that. And then you get to law 444 that says, carry out the procedure of the red heifer. Like, what is that? And then this one's my favorite. This one's just wild, y'all. Okay, law 491. When a murdered person is found in open country and the murder is unsolved, break the neck of a calf by the river valley. Okay, so what he's saying is if you find someone that's dead, that's been murdered, well, the first thing you need to do is look around, go to the river, find a cow, break his neck. Like PETA would go crazy, y'all. Like that is wild. <laughs> then 497, help others load their beasts. And so I was thinking about this in modern day terms, okay? So what would that mean for us today? If your friend hits you up and they're like, yo, can you help me move? Can you help me load that U-Haul? And you say no, ah, breaking the law. Help others load their beasts. And then there's all these laws around leaven and bread and which I don't always understand because I really love bread and the best part of bread is the middle, the fluffy stuff that you just soak in butter and they're like, don't, no leaven. And, and there's just all of these different rules. And as I'm reading through this list, I'm also reminded of my own story and of how I grew up. And how I grew up thinking and believing that God just wants me to listen to him and obey his rules. And if I would just obey his rules, then he'll love me. Then I can earn his affection. Then I can please him. Then I can earn his love. And I'm reading through this list like I, that's how I've felt for so long. If I just don't say bad words, if I just don't get in a fight, if I just don't rebel, if I just don't smoke and don't drink and don't listen to Eminem, like then I'll get in to heaven. Can you imagine though waking up every day and there being 613 laws that you have to have memorized and you're obligated to keep and if you go to bed having broken any of them, you're just wondering what is going to happen? Like imagine the pressure, imagine the weight, imagine the worry, imagine the anxiety that would cause in your life. And what I'm not trying to do today is knock the law. Because the reality is like, we should try to live by so many of these things. Like I believe that the world, I believe that our lives would look so much better if we were like, hey, can we just do these things? But if we do these things to try to earn God's love, we miss the gospel. If we do it to try to earn his affection for us, we miss the gospel completely. See, Jesus shows up. And when he shows up on the scene, he says, hey, rather than being yoked to the law, which is heavy and a burden and a weight that you cannot bear, why don't you come and yoke yourself to me? Matthew 11, Jesus says these words. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And in verse 30, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the law was given to facilitate relationship between God and his people, but the law became for his people empty religion and rituals and rules, and it became life void of joy and void of vitality. And so there was this weight, or this burden on their shoulders, a yoke that Paul says we are now freed from. It's as if you got two choices. 
try to keep all the laws and you break one, then you're out, or you can yoke yourself to Jesus and live in his freedom. It reminds me of Mel Gibson's infamous speech in Braveheart, where he says, run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that, for that one chance, just that one chance to come back here and tell all our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. I could do Australian accents, not Scottish ones, so I didn't even want to try. But never take our freedom. He's like, hey, you got two choices. You can run and you can live as a slave on the path of comfort and safety, or you can fight and you can live free. Which do you want to choose? And see, the reality is, is that so many times we think that freedom is just anarchy. They weren't after anarchy. They just didn't want to be a slave to the king of England. They wanted someone better to lead them. See, freedom isn't an anarchy. It's as if there's two mountains that you can climb in this life. You can climb Mount Sinai, and there you'll find laws and religion, or you can climb a hill called Calvary, and there you'll find a liberator, and his name is Jesus. Amen. See, Jesus institutes a new yoke for us, one that is free from religion and introduces us to a way of life that is led by love. See, the beauty of being yoked to Jesus is that he carries the load. He's the one that does the heavy lifting that we cannot do. When we are weak, he is strong. And it's not that life with Jesus is, quote, unquote, easy as we would think. As we read that word, that word represents kind and gracious. So what he's saying, hey, come and be yoked to me, and you get to walk with the God of grace and live with him. See, here's the reality. We're all going to be yoked to someone or something. Like you can yoke yourself to your career, you can yoke yourself to that influencer, to status, to school, to relationships, to pleasure, and even religion. But the burden of all of those things is heavy, and it's not going to offer the freedom that your heart is after. So what the law did for them, and what the law does for you and me, is it's as if it's holding up a mirror so that we can look and see our brokenness and cause us to turn to Jesus. The Puritan Thomas Watson, he says, till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet but Jesus is so so sweet he came to fulfill the law and establish a new way a better way for us to relate to God he says hey come yoke yourself to me my heart is gentle and lowly my yoke is easy and my burden is light and with me you can live free and so Paul says rather than submit to the law of slavery submit to the love of the Savior Anyone else wanting to submit to the love of the Savior, that we would surrender our hearts to the Savior, understanding that in him freedom is found. And then he continues on in verse 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul makes it very clear in this chapter, you can subscribe to religion or you can subscribe to the Redeemer, but you can't subscribe to both. And in Jesus, what matters is faith working itself out through love. This is the law of love, that love over law says you can't, but Jesus did. Love says I'm forgiven by grace, where religion says I'm condemned by the law. And what living free looks like is not seeing the world through a lens of do's and don'ts, but I see the world, I choose to see the world now based on what Jesus has done for me. Through the cross, Jesus crucified, Jesus alive, and Jesus now living in me. And so we're called to live free from the law, but we're also called to live free from our sinful desires. Verse 13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Don't only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
See, I believe one of the biggest tragedies, greatest tragedies of today is that so many Christians have been set free but are living with shackles on. Living still slaves to the same sin, letting sin still hang around. In Jesus, he has freed you from that sin. But so many of us just got the shackles still on and we're allowing sin to still entangle us and still to sin to still have a grip on us today. And so right here, what Paul's doing is he's addressing the human problem of desire. He says, the problem is that we are driven by our desires. We all are. What we want dictates what we do. And though we're freed from the slavery of sin, we're still at war with our flesh. The old me, the old you that still has sinful desires. See, the Christian life is full of daily decisions where we say no to our flesh, where we choose to deny our flesh, and we choose Jesus first. The world tells us, hey, be true to your desires. Just follow your heart. Jesus says, die to ourselves and desire God above all. There is this dichotomy, this difference there. So Christians, we live in a spiritual war. We're at war with the enemy that wants to distract us. We're war, at war with our flesh that has um, sinful desires. And we're also at war with the world that wants us to look like it. See, for society, the conventional definition of freedom is being able to do whatever you want, do whatever you want, whatever you feel, without any constraints, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. But for followers of Jesus, for Jesus' people, true freedom comes from choosing the path of Jesus. Christian liberty is freedom from sin, not license to sin. And that's the point he's driving home in these first few verses. It's not freedom from sin. It's freedom from sin, not license to sin. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Check this out, to put off your old self. Some translations say, throw off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, get rid of those shackles. The old Joe can't come to the phone because the new Joe has cut the cord. In Jesus, you have freedom from sin, freedom from being controlled or conformed to the world, but you can be transformed by the renewal of your mind, like Paul writes in Romans 12. See, a huge part of Western society is just living enslaved. So many of us, we're just living enslaved. People are chasing after their own desires, looking for pleasure and happiness, and expecting to find freedom in return. But the world is constantly telling us, be you, follow your heart, fulfill your desires, find pleasure in anyone or anything, just be happy. And what happens when you chase those things and you just become miserable. Just look at the rising levels of anxiety and depression and suicide today, that chasing those things don't make us happier. Those things don't free us. Following our desires isn't freedom, it's actually slavery, slavery to ourselves. Slavery to our desires. See, Paul, he's holding up a warning sign. And he's got these two extremes. In one hand, he says that freedom is not found in legalism, which is just do whatever you think you should do to try to please God. And in the other hand, he's holding up hedonism. And hedonism is doing whatever you want to please yourself. And see, hedonism is slavery of the body and legalism is slavery of the soul. But in the middle, in the very middle, 
He's established and he's called us to something bigger and better and greater, and it's freedom. Eleutheria is the Greek word that's used there, which is neither being dominated by your desires or being ruled by religion. It's what we were created for, freedom. That without Jesus, freedom is your desire, but with Jesus, freedom is your destiny. I love how Eugene Peterson puts Matthew 11 in the message version. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. He's saying, come to Jesus, and you'll find freedom. And freedom is genuinely wanting the things that lead to flourishing. Freedom is genuinely wanting the things that lead to flourishing. Do you want a life that flourishes? You've got to learn to live out that freedom. And one of the ways that we do that is through spiritual rhythms. If you're taking notes, I want you to just write down spiritual rhythms. See, spiritual rhythms help us to gain control over our desires, eliminate distractions, and focus on Jesus. There's a reason why 99% of the books that you'll read on freedom today, whether it's freedom from financial freedom, freedom in your fitness, freedom in your career, whatever it looks like, all of these different books, I was going through a lot of them this week, all of them always point back to these two main things, habits and disciplines. Habits and disciplines. And for the Christian, we call these spiritual rhythms, spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits. And if we want to experience the freedom that Jesus has brought to our life, we're going to need to start to embrace the way of Jesus in our lives. And the first practice I believe that we need to embrace is prayer. Jesus, he taught us to pray. He calls us to pray. And one of the frameworks he give us, gives us for prayer is the Lord's Prayer. And I love how the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be your name. See, freedom is found in making much of God and less of us because that's what we were created for. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Freedom is found in seeking the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Because if you live in his will, then that is the life that he's created for you, which is better than our own desires. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Freedom is found in depending on God and not ourselves. If we realize that our Father is in control, that every good and perfect gift we have is from Him. And then He says, Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. This framework that Jesus gives is full of freedom. See, freedom is found in practicing forgiveness. This is huge. Like so many of us, we're living with shackles of unforgiveness on, and it's ruining relationships, it's hurting our hearts, and it's putting ourselves in a prison that we hold the keys to. But when we pray like Jesus, we find freedom. See, our desire is to be right, but freedom requires us to forgive. So Jesus gives us this framework when he teaches us to pray, and I believe it's just full of freedom. If we want to live free, we got to let go of the bitterness that's in our hearts, and we're going to have to forgive in order to live free. Living free also means freeing from temptation at every turn. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It means that I'm not going to give in to temptation. I'm not even going to put myself in a situation where temptation is going to arise. I'm going to live with guardrails in my life, then, and I'm going to say no over and over again. And I'm going to say yes to Jesus over and over again because sin has no hold on me, but grace is holding me now. And living free means that I build my life upon the truths of God. 
I'm building upon his word and his character and who he is. The second spiritual practice is scripture, the Bible. If you want to live free, you're going to need to have the very breath of God filling your lungs. And that's the Bible. And so just really practically, like, I just want to, I know it's just another pastor telling you to read your Bible, just go home, read your Bible, but that's where freedom is found. And that if you would just start in the morning, start tomorrow, commit to 15 minutes a day, watch it change your life because it changed mine. And I've seen the Bible change so many other people's lives, and I believe it can change yours. And so start tomorrow in the Gospel of Mark. Maybe you start in Mark and you start to read through the stories of Jesus in Scripture. Another pathway to freedom is uh, fasting. Fasting. See, when a person fasts, they are training their body not to get what it wants. Saying no to its desires. Stop giving in to our desires so that we won't be controlled by them. Because when we're not controlled by them, we get to see and experience the God who is in control. And we're more compelled to serve and know him. Confession. Confession is another spiritual practice that we see in scripture that leads to true freedom. See, in the Bible, we see that people confess their sins to each other. It's not just like talking to God and I'm going to confess to God. It should look more like an AA meeting, you know, sitting around the room with people you trust and you're confessing, you're being open, you're being vulnerable, you're being real with where you're at. And true freedom and intimacy with God is found through confession. See, we may be driven by desires, but through spiritual practices that become habits, we can learn to live free and focus on Jesus and the way of life he's called us to. He continues on in verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're called to use that freedom to serve one another through love. Harriet Tubman uh, was born into slavery in 1822, and she lived her whole life um, as a slave um, for the beginning stages of her life, and she was abused mentally, physically, and finally, in 1849, she finally escaped to Philadelphia, where she experienced freedom for the first time. And as she goes to Philadelphia, she starts to live a life that was free, but she was known for her faith. And she knew that her life had meaning and purpose beyond just her own freedom. And so Harriet goes on to live her life to set other people free. And so she went on to lead 13 missions to rescue over 70 people through the Underground Railroad and see them be set free. She earned herself the nickname Moses because she was so brave. See, people that experience freedom understand that other people need to be freed and they live their lives in love to see other people set free. When Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, he's reminding them, hey, listen, you've been saved for a purpose. You've been called for a purpose and use your freedom now to love other people. See, so many of us, we've asked ourselves this question before. Okay, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Like, I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. What do I do next? Like, can you give me a list of rules to just follow? Like, what do I got to do now? Like, do I got to change how I talk? I just say less curse words. Is there a special walk I got to do? Like, do I dress different now? Can I wear a hat in church or can I not wear a hat in church? Like, what are the rules? Can you just give me a list to obey and to follow? And how does Paul answer that question? Well, he's answers it very simply, the same way Jesus does in Matthew 22 when this group of religious leaders come and they ask him a question to test him. And they say, what is the greatest law and the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds to them by saying, love God and love people. 
Love God and love people. And so Paul's response is one word, love. It's love, that we live to love other people. This is the law of, God, of love. And us obeying the law of love is in response to God's grace. The Spirit changes us and empowers us to obey God by loving him and loving his people. And so our call is to be yoked to Jesus and in constant service to other people in love. Some of my favorite quotes on what love looks like and love means. There's this local pastor, Dr. Crawford, and I never forget, I heard him speak over the past year, and he describes it this way. He says, love means I disadvantage myself for the comfort of another. So good. Leader John Maxwell, he writes and he says that every morning he wakes up and he asks himself this question, how can I add value to someone's life today? Pastor Andy Stanley, he's famous for this question that he asks, he calls his people to ask every single day, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? See, under the banner of loving God and loving his people, we are free to live the law of love. That every morning we can wake up and we can say, I am free to sacrificially serve. I am free today to generously give. I am free to fight against darkness. I am free to live boldly. I am free to forgive daily. I am free to live in grace-filled community, and I am free to love loudly. Like, what if you woke up every day and that was your declarations that you started the day with to say, hey, this is the life I want to live. This is what I'm all about, that I am free to do these things. See, freedom in Jesus means freedom from the shackles of seeking the approval of others. We're no longer seeking the approval of other people because we know that we have God's approval in Jesus and we want to live out his love and his heart for us. See, the world wants us to see liberty as an opportunity just to pursue lust, more sex, more stuff, more pleasure, but liberty that Jesus offers is purposed for love. That's the purpose for it. I want to end at where we started at the beginning, verse one. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, true freedom comes from doing what God wants, not what we want. Like living free looks like building our lives on Jesus, being connected to Jesus daily and loving people for Jesus. Living free looks like waking up every day full of joy in who Jesus is, just, just who he is. I'm just finding joy in him and in his presence and, and what he's done for me. And then I want to live to make him known. See, the purpose of your freedom is to find Jesus in losing yourself. It's less of you, more of him. And faith is our gateway to that freedom. And he says, stand firm in that freedom. Don't go back. You've been set free. The shackles have been taken off. Like, don't put those shackles back on. In Jesus, for the first time, we can take a breath. And we can breathe in his grace and breathe out forgiveness that he offers us. And we can live in the freedom that's available. It's the old is gone. The new me has come. That in Jesus, we're freed from our past mistakes and our current shortfalls and our future failures. And we don't use that freedom to dive back into sin, deeper into sin. But we use that freedom to look to him, to turn to Jesus again and again and again. And so I think there's some of us today that we just need to step out of darkness of sin and into the light that Jesus has for us. I think there's so, some of us today that, I mean, we've got to choose to reveal 
to other people, to confess, to step out of darkness. God can't heal what we choose to hide. And so for so many of us, it's bringing things to light. It's surrendering our hearts, our lives to Jesus and saying, I want to live for you. I've got a question I want us to think about as we go. When I got saved, what shackles did I keep on? Like what shackles am I walking around with? What shackles am I living with still to this day? Christian freedom is not doing just whatever we want. That's misery. Christian freedom is finding the best person to be a slave to and attaching yourself to that person. There's this story of Civil War days before American slaves were freed. There was this... uh, northerner who went to a slave auction and he purchased a young girl and he purchases this slave and they leave and he turns to the girl and he says you're free she turns back to him and says I'm free like I can do whatever I want to do he's like yeah she says I'm free like I can say whatever I want to say he says yes you're free She looks at him and she says, I'm free like I can be whoever I want to be. Yes, you're free. And she turns back to him and says, I'm free like I can go wherever I want to go. He says, yes, you can go wherever you like to go. And the slave girl turns to her master in that moment and she says, then I'll go with you. If I'm free, then then I wanna go with you. I wanna be with you. See, the freedom that Jesus offers us isn't this freedom to just go live life however we wanna live it, just be whoever we wanna be. It's it's he's offered us this freedom and our only response is to be like, well, then I wanna go with you, God. I wanna go with you, Jesus. Like if you have this better life to offer, I wanna walk with you, I wanna be with you. I don't want the things of this world. I don't want all of that. That's gonna, that's gonna just lead to more stress and worry and anxiety to my life. That stuff can't save me, you can save me. And so if you're gonna say that I'm free, if, if you're saying I'm really truly free, then I wanna be with you, the person that can set me free, then I'll go with you. There's a similar story in John chapter six in the gospels says, after this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, do you want to go away as well? Are you done too? Do you want to leave? Do you want to go off? And Simon Peter, he answered, he answered Jesus. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God that there's no better place to go. There's no one else I would rather submit to. There's no one else I would rather surrender to. There's no one else that I would rather live my life to make much of. There's nobody else who can carry the weight of all of my shame. There's no one else that can offer me the freedom of forgiveness that only you can offer me, Jesus. There's no one else that can free me from my past. There's no one else that offers me the life and the joy and the hope that you can, Jesus. And so if I'm free to go, I wanna stay with you and I wanna go with you. So will you choose to go with Jesus today to see him as the one that can give you freedom and the one that you wanna be as close as possible to? Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful 
Father, that you sent your son for me, that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me, for us. And God, that there's an invitation to follow you and it's through your son, Jesus. The invitation is open, follow me and find freedom. So God, we're grateful for the freedom that you offer us. And we're just saying yes, yes. I wanna give the opportunity with every eye closed in this room and every head bowed, I wanna give the opportunity if there's anyone here that has never made a decision to trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to say, that's the one I wanna follow. I wanna put my faith and trust in him as my savior. If you've never made that decision, I just wanna give you an opportunity to pray this prayer. We see in the Bible that everyone that confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. And so I wanna give you an opportunity to pray. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm trusting in you. Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that you are the son of God. And I give you my heart. I'm surrendering to you as the savior and Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer, I just wanna have an opportunity for you just to mark this moment and we just do it simple here. I'm gonna to count to three and if you wanna raise your hand, I would just ask you to raise your hand so we can celebrate with you so that you can mark this moment between you and God and your church to say, yes, I made that decision. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just wanna ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you wanna trust in Jesus today, amen, amen, amen. God sees that, amen. Amen. God, we are so grateful for your love. God, we believe that you've called us to live lives of freedom, to set other people free, that we haven't been saved to sit still, but we've been saved to serve and to generously give and to live our lives to make much of your name. And so God, would you just use us, have your way with us. I pray that a spirit of surrender, a spirit of just sacrifice to you would rise up in our church, God, and that we would not look the same because of what you've done for us, because of your spirit living in us. So may we leave here changed and made new today. God, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.